0: John chapter 5, starting at verse 31. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not valid. There is another who testifies in my favour, and I know that his testimony about me is valid. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it, that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the works the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing, testify that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never seen his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to to come to me to have life. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name and you do not accept me, but if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? But do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? This passage uh, is, for us, it's an invitation to search the evidence For who and what Jesus is and to search our hearts it's an invitation to faith basically it's an invitation if we don't believe to believe and if we do to have that faith strengthened it's a strange passage it's it starts a little like a courtroom scene you see these people have come up and they've confronted Jesus and it seems like Jesus is in the dark and he tells his accusers he calls witnesses in his support Witnesses no one can deny. But then in the second half of the passage, he spins things around. And suddenly we realise that he in the dock, it's as if these people are trying to try a messenger from their own king. The people trying him are rebels. And he is telling them, you need to accept my evidence, not because I'm afraid of what you will do to me, because i want you to be spared i want you to lay down your arms as rebels and come back to my father the king the key verse here is verse 34 i mention it so that you may be saved these are jesus's enemies we just heard um, last week or last time rather that they had already decided to try and kill him and still he is saying to them i mention it so that you can be saved he wants these people be rescued in other words this is a passage about god's patience you know it, it got in it but it's still a passage about the way he's willing to stoop down and explain things that not just that we don't understand but things that we refuse to listen to and so he calls us in this passage as he called them to look at the evidence to lay aside our bias and just to listen to him so, verses 31 to 39 show us evidence to bring us to life, and 41 to 47 warn us about hearts that keep us from life. So, firstly, uh, 31 to 39 or 40, um, evidence to bring us to life. So, in these verses, Jesus brings up the, um, the evidence, the testimony which there is to help these people believe. Um so if we're, as we said, if we aren't Christians or we aren't sure, then it's an invitation to us to to look at the evidence, to seriously consider it, to not just make a leap of faith to believe, but to consider what the Bible actually says and to weigh it. To read the gospels, to ask questions, to think hard about it all. And if we are Christians, it's an invitation to strengthen our faith, to examine what it's built on. To see once again just how strong the evidence of is for what we believe. And so increase in confidence and in joy. Now, it's as if he's saying, you know, this is like a courtroom. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not valid. Not saying it's not true, but rather saying, you know, if, if this was a courtroom and all you had to go on was my, what I said about myself, that wouldn't be enough evidence to prosecute a case either way. You would need other evidence or other witnesses to back it up. You know, a court doesn't make the decision on the basis of words of one person. And obviously, of all people, Jesus' testimony should be listened to. But he's willing to play along for a moment to help them to understand. And so he says, there is another who testifies in my favour. There's one more witness. And I know his testimony is valid. In other words, this is the real stuff, the gold standard of testimony. This is testimony that has to be listened to. Now some people think that this other testimony he mentions is John the Baptist who will come up in the next verse as you'll see. But John the Baptist in the next verse he talks about is someone in the past, he has testified, he has spoken, he was a burning and shining light because by this time John is in prison or quite likely dead. So rather he's talking about someone who still speaks and I think what's going on you'll have to weigh this for yourselves as we read it is that he is saying that God the Father is testifying in this passage in three different ways God the Father is the same person he's been talking about all through this whole chapter how God gave him words gave him works how he's working together with the father and he's saying again the father is speaking he is speaking to you and he's speaking he says in three ways testifying in three ways firstly that he sent john john the baptist secondly that he's given jesus his work and his miracles to do which are themselves evidence and lastly that he speaks through the scriptures through the bible so of those the first he sent john to be a witness we'll remember from chapter 1 verse 6 that John the Baptist was introduced as a man who came from God and he talked of the one who had sent him. John the Baptist had come proclaiming God's kingdom is here and God's king is already here standing among you and he pointed Jesus out. And Jesus of course is pointing out that look you you religious leaders you sent to John to ask who he was and what he was doing And and he said to you what the truth was. You were happy to listen to him for a while, but will you listen to what he actually said about me? So that was something that was uh, right in front of them. God had prepared Jesus' way. But also, the Father had given uh, Jesus his works. I have a testimony weightier than that of John, something more important. The works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing, testify the Father has sent me. Now part of that, of course, is his miracles. They they know he's just done an amazing miracle. And that's evidence that he is more than just some random madman making great claims about himself. But I think it means a bit more than that. Because... The works that the Father has given him not just to do but to finish, it must be talking about the whole of what he came to do and to teach. He's saying, in other words, look at what I'm doing, the miracles, the teaching, the way I live, and in the end, the way I'll die. I couldn't be doing this for myself for my own gain. This isn't the product of some human ambition this is something that can only come from the Father. If you really weigh what Jesus is like and what he does, that itself is evidence of who he is because he has works that could only come from the Father. And then he says, the Father testifies directly as well, especially through the scriptures. He says, the Father who has sent me has himself testified concerning me. Now, he says, You know, you've never heard his voice or seen his form. These people who have rejected him, they haven't felt the Father's testimony directly. They haven't believed in Jesus, so they haven't felt the Holy Spirit come in and enlighten their hearts to open their eyes to reality, to help them to see clearly, to know, uh, as we do when we become Christians, a little more directly and clearly what, who Jesus is. But all the same, they have the scriptures. He says you study the scriptures diligently you think that then them you have eternal life of course life is found through the scriptures but how because the scriptures testify about him and they call us to come to him the whole old testament written to point to jesus christ something we don't have time to go into here but again and again in the new testament it shows us how the whole old testament was given to direct us and point us to trust in him so, the Father is giving these three testimonies John the Baptist, Jesus' own life and teaching and miracles, and then the scriptures, so that all who examine them can come to Jesus and have life. Now, of course, that's the same today. The Father still speaks. Now, these events may be more distant, but when we are willing to face what the bible says to weigh it up honestly and truly we discover that there are strong reasons for believing that this is true so many people dismiss it as a a fairy story without ever reading it or examining it maybe maybe that's true of some of your neighbors that they just dismissed it without ever thinking about it at all really um it's um when I've uh, had the the privilege of being involved in evangelistic courses like uh, the Alpha Course or Christianity Explored, um, people week by week see a little bit more of Jesus's life and what he does. They read perhaps bits of the Gospels and it's always amazing how little you have to say, how little you have to explain because as week by week they see those things, as they see what Jesus is like, what the Gospels say, Week by week, it's amazing to see people actually come to faith because they've seen for themselves and read for themselves the evidence of who Jesus is. And in in a similar way, you know, if we're Christians, perhaps at times we have our doubts or even filled with doubts. And if we do, God doesn't just ask that we grin our teeth and bear it. And still less is he asking us to, if we have particular questions and doubts, for us to ignore them and pretend they aren't there. Rather, God gives us the testimony, the evidence to help, so that the more we read the Bible, the more we examine Jesus' life and teaching, the more we will discover those doubts and questions answered. And very often we'll need other people to help us see that whether that's discussing a difficulty together in a Bible study or asking someone who knows the Bible better than we do or who's more holy than we are. But God is a gracious God. He doesn't just demand belief. He's willing to stoop down and give us evidence that leads to life. Now that's the first part of what Jesus says. He calls these witnesses. The second half brings us face-to-face with the reality that human beings, we're not very good at weighing evidence. We're actually very biased creatures. Um, The reason that these religious leaders will not come to Jesus isn't simply that they haven't looked at the evidence. It's that the way they think and feel and what they're living for means they can't see the evidence clearly. And his words are designed to help them to work through that, to see that, to see the problem in their own hearts so that they can believe. He says, I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. You don't accept me, though I come in my Father's name, because you do not have the love of God in your hearts. You will accept someone else coming in his own name, but not me. Why? This is the key verse. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Now, in all our hearts, there is a desire to be loved, isn't there? A desire to be respected, a desire for the people round about us to think well of us, to think well of our opinions, to like us basically and Jesus is saying to these these people these men he's saying you want to be praised and loved by other people so much that you don't care what God thinks about you and so you're not willing to weigh the evidence in its own terms all you want to do is do what makes you look best And the result is that they cannot believe in what God says, because they're deeply biased in their hearts to whatever makes them look good. Uh, On the way to church this morning, uh, I was chatting with a man who was talking about the problems religion makes in the world, and particularly in his country, and he knew what he was talking about. He'd suffered, I think. Um people around the world use religion as an excuse to for the most appalling cruelties why because human beings who are who want to look good who want glory who want other people to be impressed by them are just as willing to use religion to do that to make themselves great and other people small so that they can feel good inside And these religious teachers are exactly that sort of person. You know, they will go on and they will kill Jesus for exactly those reasons. These are people who spent their whole lives studying the Bible. And Jesus says to them, look, you spend your life studying Moses. Moses speaks to you about me your desire to be praised by other people means you can't even see that you know when it comes to judgment day I'm not going to accuse you Moses will accuse you you claim to believe and trust him but it's your disobedience to him that will show you up on the last day uh, no, and that's a terrible thought isn't it now Jesus is speaking here to religious leaders who with astonishingly hard hearts hearts that are keeping them from him Nonetheless, there is in all of us, part of us that can relate to this, if we know anything about our own hearts. You know, I I studied history at university, and when you study history, you're not, in a sense, part of what you're doing is trying to discover what went on in the past, but to do that, you've got to weigh the evidence, you've got to weigh different people's writing about what happened. And not just when people are lying, that's often more obvious, but people change their own memories about their past their memories play tricks on them don't they I th- i'm sure we all know that feeling when i started uh, studying history I, I became quite interested in that and i thought it'd be interesting to know just how much my own memory changes actually uh, so i think i'll keep a diary for a few years and i did that and uh, i wanted to see um, you know how much did my memory play tricks on me Partly I discovered that my memory did play tricks on me, quite remarkable tricks on me. And uh, when I looked back, my, at the very least, even if not the the events themselves, the whole emotions I put into events, the way I believed things changed radically over the years. But the thing I noticed even more was that I couldn't actually keep myself from writing that diary to make myself look good to my future self. So it was a pretty useless experiment. I thought I'd discover bias. Well it did. <laughs> I discovered someone who was desperate to paint himself as a picture of himself as a wonderful person, so wise and clever, even to my future self. And it affects us in the way we do everything. You know maybe it doesn't affect you as much but uh, I forgive me, I'm going to talk more about myself in this sermon than normal because I don't want to be rude. (laughs) Um, And I don't know your heart, but I know mine. (laughs) And I'm sure you can find the problems in your heart better than I can find them. You know, I've talked before about my first couple of jobs. I was terrible at them. I was so disorganized. When I slipped up, which was all the time, I'd bend the truth or I'd just lie. You know, have you written that email yet? Oh, yes, I finished, just finished it. Meaning, I'm really glad you reminded me. I'll go and write it now. You know, it must have been miserable working with me because I wanted praise and not a telling off. I wanted the glory that came from other people, not the glory that comes from God who values truthfulness. And it took a lot of God's grace to get me out of that. And underneath the sickness, it might be different, it might be reduced, but it's still there. You know, it's it's very easy to shape a sermon so that you get people to like what you said rather than what God wanted you to say. So why, again, why am I airing all my dirty laundry in public? Just, just think for a moment about yourself. If you've ever been chain, tempted to change what you think or what you say in order to get people to think better of you. Even if it's a, something as simple as what you think about COVID regulations. You know how easy it is when you realise someone has very different and very angry views that are different from your own about that. How easy it is just to shape the conversation so they don't find out what you think. I don't think it's just me. All of this does keep people from being Christians. I was talking to someone this week who talked about how it took a long time for her to become a Christian because she had lots of great friends and she knew that a lot of them would laugh at her and probably drop her if she became a Christian. And she did, and she doesn't regret it, but she still misses some of those friends decades later. And that's even truer today, you know, if you're a young person who chooses to become a Christian, it's a big choice. A lot of people aren't going to think well of you. And so we need to come face to face with that darkness in our own hearts. Because often it is not lack of evidence, lack of real evidence in the Bible that keeps us from a deeper, more trusting, more warm and joyful faith. It's that we're so worried about what others think that we're slow to trust it. And so when we wrestle with who we are, the reality of who we are, the reality of what blinds us, we discover that we can learn to see more clearly and trust God more deeply. Because, you see, his praise is worth more than any human being's praise can be. We don't have time to go through it all, but you know that if you trust him, if we trust him one day, Jesus says he will acknowledge us before the Father and his angels. He says again that to those who are faithful, he will give the crown of life. He will say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. He will give us the right to sit with him on his throne. That's an astonishing statement, isn't it? And the Father will have us as his children forever and live with us always. That's the promises he offers. We don't need to worry about what other people think of us. Not because we are proud and we don't need other people. Not because we are special or great. But because one day we will have the praise of our Heavenly Father. And because right now... We have his love and his care, so we can look at things clearly without worry and fear. We can read through the Gospels and see who Jesus is with clear sight and find our faith growing day by day and week by week as we learn to trust him more. Let's pray. Jesus, we see here your patience even with people who wanted to kill you. Thank you that you are so patient with us too. And thank you that you love us and that one day you will give us, hard as it is to believe, praise and glory. That you will share your glory with us In ways we can't begin to imagine. Help us to look forward to that. To take great joy in that. And to have our faith strengthened this morning through that. Amen.